Hey everyone, I'm Renee Bennett. Consider me the girl next door, having conversations that will help challenge and shape your worldview in a culture that has turned our moral compass upside down and inside out. To chat with me further, come join me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. No topics are off limits. I'm really glad you're here. Now, on to today's episode. Hello guys, welcome to episode 115. It is Parenthood Friday and I'm really glad that you have come along and joined me today. I'm doing something different today. Uh, I reached out to you guys during the week and asked if you had any questions, any parenting questions. That's why it's important if you listen to come and follow me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast, because I often reach out to you guys there and ask you things, um, which are really super helpful to me in shaping these podcasts. So anyway, there were so many questions. I think I might do a part two next week because I can't get around to them all and do justice to all of them in one episode. I kind of see today like a lucky dip. I don't have a particular topic. It's a bit like a let's reach our hand in. And I have no doubt that from today's episode, all of you are going to draw something different that you go, oh my gosh, yes, that's a light bulb moment for me. So let's get going. First question is how do you have conversations with your toddler to reach their heart? Now, this, conv- uh, this question must have come from a regular GND parenthood listener because I am forever talking about parenting our children in such a way that we reach their heart and that we shape their heart. And so I'm really, this is why I've got this one first. I just think this is one of the most beautiful questions because I believe that heart-to-heart conversations are the most important ones that we can have with our children. So let me first define what is a heart-to-heart conversation. It really simply is where we get to have a conversation where we get below the surface of things in life, where we get to talk about things that really matter, and we just get to connect with and see into the soul of the other person. That's pretty deep, right? But you know, when you feel, you can feel it when you have one of these conversations where you just feel like, I understand my child a bit better. I think I've just really reached in and seen a bit of their soul today. So the first thing that I think is important is that we need to make the environment right first so that our kids know that we're actually interested in them. So we need to put distractions away like our phones, put down what we're doing. It's a little bit hard to have a heart-to-heart conversation if we're distracted by something or they're distracted by something. So just on a practical level, getting down, because I know this person asked particularly about a toddler, um, getting down on their level and giving eye contact with them is really powerful. I used to always squat down to my kids' level, or I would sit next to them on their bed or even lay next to them on their bed. Um, some I would often do this. I don't know why I did it, but I, I just found it a really powerful thing to do. But often if I was squatting down, I would cup their gorgeous little face in my hands and just just for a couple of moments, I, I don't know, it was, I think that physical kind of contact. So the eye contact and then me physically just like cupping their cute little face in my hand just made them feel my love doubly. I think because I was looking at them, I was showing them that I'm fully, fully um, focused on them. Now we can't always pick the moment for a heart to heart because sometimes they do come up when you don't expect them. So be ready to jump on those moments, even when they might not be convenient. And 
this whole deal of having a heart-to-heart conversation, it's a skill that we need to practice with them. And so learning how to communicate heart-to-heart is a skill that we need to get good at ourselves. If we don't know how to have a meaningful and deep conversation with another person, then there's no way we're going to be able to teach our children to do the same. So it's something that we need to get good at, where we need to have people in our life that we can have a heart-to-heart conversation with so that we can then gently guide our children in how to do the same. And I think it is important to do this at a young at a young age. Now, some children are going to be naturally more inclined to have these conversations, um, and some we're going to have to spend a bit more time training them and guiding them. But the key there, I think, is to be interested in what they're interested in. So let them take the lead on whatever it is you're talking about, because then they're already going to be interested, but then asking them questions. Learn to ask questions where they can't give a yes or no answer or a one word answer. So for example, I would always ask my kids on the way back from school how their day was. Now, depending on your child, some are going to launch into an hour-long conversation where you wish you'd never asked, and others you'll just get a good. So what I would do instead is I would try and ask creative questions like, what was your favorite thing that you did at school today? Or was there anything that made you sad at school today? So you can see by my questions that I'm kind of diving that little bit deeper. Another thing that we did was we helped them focus on other people so that they're not always focused on themselves because we found that when we help them learn empathy for others, it created a depth of heart in our own kids. So it wasn't always conversations about themselves. We would try and teach them empathy for others because that does so much good for their heart. So I remember when Ashton was little, he was probably about four, and we were on holiday at the Q1 on the Gold Coast, and we were in the pool area, and I was just sitting reading a book, and Ashton was in the water. I don't know, he might have had his floaties or whatever. And then he, he comes running up to me, and his lip was quivering, and then he just, he was crying. You know when some kids are so cute when they're crying? It's like crying, doing the upside-down smile. He was so upset because he could see that there was a little boy in the pool who was playing on his own. It brings tears to my eyes remembering it. Now, it didn't surprise me that he'd seen this because we often would have conversations about looking around us at the people around us and how can we help the people around us. But this often would happen with Ashton. He would even read a book about a character and just get so upset if the character in the book, um, you know, was going through something sad. He just had so much empathy for others and his little heart was so broken and he had this depth of heart. And so we would talk about, I remember saying to him, that's so lovely that you can see that, that little boy is by himself, but he might not be sad. And, you know, we talked about that. And then we talked about ways that he could approach the little boy and invite him to play. And so he did that. But we used to use real life things that happen around us to engage their hearts. That was a long answer. Okay. So anyway, I'm going to try and not be so long now because I told you I could do a whole podcast on that one. There are so many different elements. All right. Next question. How can we teach our kids to be comfortable with things that there are no answers for? What a great question. How can we teach them to be comfortable with things there are no answers for? Okay. Firstly, don't shield them from those things. Don't shield them from things that we think 
are too difficult. Let them let them feel it, let them experience it, let them see it. Because there are great life lessons to learn in their life that if they can learn early are, are really going to help them. If they can learn early in life that some things will not make sense, then it will help build resilience in them. We can use it to teach values into their hearts. Like we don't always understand, but we trust God always. You know, God always loves us. God always has a plan. But let them be okay with not understanding. Like be okay with being honest with your feelings and your own questions. Let me give you a really practical example. This is why it's a good thing to have animals when they're little. You might not be an animal lover. I'm telling you, Animals are the best way to teach kids things sometimes, but we used to have these chickens. We had a lot of chickens. Anyway, this one particular chicken that we had called Flash, I think Ashton named it, and she outlived all our other chickens and we had a lot of chickens. I think we had six or seven over the years, but Flash was our first Like, and, and she lived so long. She was like our brave warrior chicken. Anyway, she got really sick eventually. And so she was struggling to breathe. And so we knew that she was dying. And so, you know, we didn't hide that from the kids and we didn't pretend that that didn't happen or give some story about how Flash flew away instead of Flash actually died. So we let the kids, we actually brought them in to like to watch and because they had found her. And so, you know, we stayed with her while she struggled to breathe. And I cried because the kids were crying. I probably wasn't so attached to the chicken, but I watched my kids grieving and watching something they loved die for the first time. And then I remember after she died, the kids went to the coop and they actually found an egg, one last egg. And it was literally, it was so fresh, it was still warm. So Flash must have just laid it before she died. And I remember Liam like picking it up and showing me and going, mom, it's Flash's last egg. And then we all burst into tears all over again. (laughs) And we were like, one last gift from Flash. We've actually got a photo of it. It was really sad. But, you know, we laughed, we cried. Let your kids go through things that they don't understand. It is good for them. Okay, question number three. How do you help your child find what they are good at? Love this question. Some kids are going to find this really easy. Some kids are literally going to come out of the womb and they just know what they like and they know what they're good at and they find that thing really easily. So Liam was like that. He loved football. As long as he had a football or any kind of ball in his hand, he was there. He loved it. So he was easy. But some kids find it harder and we need to help them. Now, there's a balance, I think, between letting them experiment to find things that they like but also at teaching them to stick at something. So what we did, the way we approached it was while they were trying to find their thing, we let them choose something. Uh, Now, often we had to give them options because sometimes like Ashton never knew. He never knew what he wanted to try. So we would give him options. Do you want to try this or do you want to try that? And then we would say to him, because pretty much a few weeks in, he'd be like, I don't like it. So we would then say, well, whatever you pick, you have to stick at that for a semester because we wanted to teach him to follow through. And also we wanted to teach him that we didn't, he can't let a team down. He can't just come into a team uh, or a club and then leave after a few weeks and let them down. So Ashton found this difficult. He tried a few things. I mean, he tried football, he tried jujitsu, he tried swimming. He didn't like any of them. He did love reading. Um, And so 
try and just watch what they naturally gravitate to. So he loved reading. So we invested a bit there. There was a particular author he loved from the Treehouse series, Andy Griffiths, I think his last name is, who would often tour through Brisbane. So we would always keep an eye on his schedule and I would drive him anywhere so he could like go and meet this author. But eventually he found that he loved boxing and that was the thing that he stuck at for years. So yeah, so there you go. So help them find it, but find that balance in not just flicking around to so many things that they never stick at anything. Uh, And also we only ever let our kids do one thing at a time because seriously, we were busy as well. And three kids, I'm like, I'm not driving around every night of the week. So, you know, we've got to also invest in us as a family. So we only let our kids do one thing each. I know my sister and brother-in-law, their three girls do multiple things each and they love that for their family. But for us, I probably just felt like I couldn't cope with that. All right. Next one. How do you give your toddler the attention they need when also caring for a newborn? I know lots of you that listen have got or about to have a newborn and you have a toddler. So this is a good one for you. There's a couple of things that you can do. Firstly, Again, it's not a bad thing for your toddler to learn to make space for another person in the house. Like I know some parents that have spent so much time, almost too much time, if that's no, that probably sounds like a terrible thing to say, but they've been just so ridiculously invested in doing so many things with their toddler that they're really shocked when they have that newborn because they feel they get the guilt. But it's not a bad thing to teach our kids that they are not the center of the universe. So it's a good thing. And you can actually encourage this by letting them help you with the baby. Um, Georgia would always help me and I would find things for her to do. Like, you know, she would go and get the clean nappies for me, or she would help me to dress Liam when he was a baby. So that way I was spending time with her, but also teaching her that life was also about all of us now. So I was teaching her to love and care for her baby brother. Another thing that I did was I would get her to pick an activity that she could do next to me while I was feeding. So since feeding can take so long, she would get her favorite book or her coloring or a puzzle and she would sit next to me and we would do that together while I was feeding. Another thing that you can do is during baby's nap time, play something special together with your toddler, something that they love doing. A little bit of quality time will go a long way. The housework can wait. Go and do something special with them. Also, before the baby comes, teach your toddler to play on their own. So, you know, in their room, maybe perhaps for like a period of time. So when the baby comes, they're already used to, you know, playing on their own and entertaining themselves a bit. So it's not such a big change. All right, next one. Oh, this is a classic. When my two-year-old gets hurt, she wails and carries on. So how do I build resilience versus acknowledging the pain? I laughed when I heard this because it took me right back to when Georgia was about two. This was her to a T. She would carry on like the biggest pork chop whenever she hurt herself. Uh, she would run around screaming and wailing. So I remember she got a splinter in her toe one day and she literally started doing laps of the backyard, screaming and wailing. Like the the injury did not match the, the, the screaming levels and she never wanted Cameron to deal with her stuff because she knew that Cameron was a lot more kind of firmer with her. She would always be like, mommy, do it, mommy, do it. So we're like, no, okay, we need to deal with this. Now, 
kudos to Cameron. He was better at this than me. He was pretty tough on her, but it was because he could see that she had a habit of her wailing being out of balance with the pain. So just because they're crying doesn't mean, by the way, that we shouldn't discipline them. And I'll tell you why. So we actually had to discipline Georgia because she had no self-control when she hurt herself. Uh, If we bow every time they cry, then they will learn to use tears to get away with everything. And believe me, as a teacher, I've seen this. The first moment a kid gets in trouble for something, they start to turn on the waterworks. You're like, oh, okay. So usually with mum and dad, the tears work. Now, please hear me. If they have a major injury, that's different. They can cry about that. (laughs) But even then, the carrying on doesn't help. So Cameron used to demand calm. In fact, this is the one time I would see him count to three. You guys know I do not believe in counting to three. This was the one time, and he did it to basically give her three counts to control herself because he knew that her wailing certainly outdid pain levels. Now, I would have probably given it a 10. (laughs) I was a bit more compassionate, and I'd be like, let's count to 10, let's breathe together. I would take that approach, but Cameron knew with her it wouldn't have worked, so he went pretty hardball. And to be honest, that's actually what built resilience in her. She's pretty tough now. Like she doesn't carry on like that anymore, but it actually took some discipline. So there you go. Build resilience. Okay. Um, Another question. Oh, this is uh, like before you even have kids, which info do you know is right and good? And there's so many books out there. So how do you know what to listen to? Okay. I've probably answered this previously, but I've always said, always judge things by its fruit. And what I did was I would first find a parent whose kids and family I wanted to emulate. And then I would ask them questions, but I would also ask them if there were any books or resources that they used. And then I would stick with that. And I didn't give myself an overabundance of information. There are so many books out there. I like literally now I've kept all my, I'm looking at my bookshelf right now and there's probably maybe 10 parenting books at the most on my bookshelf. So I didn't kind of do an overabundance of reading. It was more, I listened to the parents who had really great kids. So don't confuse yourself with too much information. I think sometimes we can have TMI. All right, last one. And then I'm going to answer the rest next week. This is a really good one. This is a deep one to finish on. How and when do you talk about topics such as a family member um, being in a homosexual relationship? Okay, this is a great question. How and when? So obviously I'm going to be addressing, um, let's take it as if there was someone in your family who was in a homosexual relationship. And let's look about the how, at the how first. Well, firstly, let me say never shy away from these big conversations. Some people think, oh, no, we need to just like not talk about that until they're older. Um, so I think we should never shy away because I think every chance we get to have a conversation, we get to help shape our kids' hearts. Now, when to have these conversations, in my opinion, is as soon as you think your child understands. As soon as you think maybe your child has noticed something, you might hear them comment or you might see them watching. And so you will know when your child notices something. And I think they're never too young to start having the conversation. Just make sure that it's age appropriate, depending on how old they are. So I believe that these conversations are 
so powerful because they're an opportunity to talk about and reinforce your family values. Now, I'm coming at this question from my value, my from my biblical Christian values, but you might come at this from a different value. So please don't judge me on what my value is here. Hear what I'm saying. The principle is use it to reinforce your family values. So one value of our family definitely is love and acceptance. So for example, I would say to my kids, if it was say, let's take Jenny and Jess, you know, um, we love Auntie Jenny and Auntie Jess very much. So I would reinforce that we can still love and still have different opinions. So we love people even when they live differently to how we choose to live. So I would make that really clear. And be really careful not to pass judgment because I think this is when kids, particularly as they get older, if we start passing harsh judgment, they will feel the need to then stick up for and, um, you know, we've created an us and them and that creates opposition and it's it's just not going to go down well. So always come from a loving, non-judgmental point of view. I would also say, I would use it to reinforce our family values, like I said. So I would say how God made marriage to be between a man and a woman like mummy and daddy or mum and dad, however old they are. Um, you know, he created for us to be husband and wife. And then I would talk about the why. So when you share a family value, no matter what it is, talk about why it's your family value. So I would probably talk about maybe, you know, why do we think God designed things that way? And this is where the age appropriateness comes in. You could talk about the, the physical design of our body, that the way that God made us physically to fit together. Or you could talk about how God wants children to have a mum and a dad. And that's when I would use my story about um, growing up without a dad and how I missed that in my life. So you could come from that angle. Or you could talk about how a girl and a girl can't have a baby. There's so many different ways that you could come out of it, out of at it, if that was your family value. I would also talk about how we believe that the way God designed things to be is always because that's the best way for us, because that's our family value. Um, But not everyone loves God the way that we do, and so not everyone will live the way that God has designed. But Arnie Jenny and Arnie Jess, they're always part of our family and we always love them. So you can kind of see my process there. What we have never done is we never make apologies for still laying out what we believe to be God's truth. I know some people, some parents who are like, oh, I don't want to push my religion or my beliefs on our children. Um, I, I really disagree with that comment. That's probably another podcast. That's what families are for. Families always pass their values on. That's what the family's created for. And every family's got values. And so we should never apologize for what our values are and for what our truth is. So I, we unashamedly believe that the way that God wants us to live is the best way. We unashamedly live with godly values in our family. And so we make no apologies for laying out what we believe to be truth. We also would teach them not to fall into thinking that, you know, we have to, um, you know, or, or I would teach them what tolerance really is, you know, teach them that tolerance and love don't always mean that we agree. We can be tolerant and still hold our truth and make your family circle, by the way, the safe place for these conversations and encourage your kids to ask questions. Don't be afraid of any of the questions that they might, might ask. 
So I feel like I've said a lot about that one, but, but basically if I was to wrap that up in a nutshell, don't shy away from it. If they've noticed, be honest about it. Always cover it in love. Talk about how we always love, we always accept, we always show kindness to people. But then don't be backward in coming forward to lay out what your family truth is, what you believe and why and what your values are. But again, cover it in the fact that, you know, maybe those people don't follow or love God the way we do and they live differently and that's okay too. And they can do in their house what they want to do, but this is what we do in our house. And I, you know, I look at my three kids and I've told you before that they do not go to a Christian high school. And Cameron and I did that on purpose. And my kids have had a Muslim teacher, lesbian teacher, um, I'm just trying to think, Jehovah's Witness um, teacher and a Mormon teacher, unsafe, like non-Christian teacher. I don't even think they've had a Christian teacher in there. And so we've had many conversations about all of these things in our house. So don't be afraid of those conversations. And I can see how all three of my kids love God and they hold dearly to the same values as Cameron and I. And we have never once forced a value down their throat. I think we've just shown the evidence for why we feel that this is the best way for us to live. And I think it's become so obvious to them. And I'm so grateful that my kids all love God and all share the same values. And they know, I mean, we've even said things like, if one of you came home and you said to us that you, you know, you're one of the boys and you've got feelings for another boy or something like that, my kids know that despite our family values, that we would always love them and always accept them. So believe you me, we've had those kinds of conversations in our house. Nothing is off topic. Your house is a safe place to be and your kids should feel like they can talk about anything with you, which takes us right back nicely by the end of the podcast to where we started, which is heart to heart. Those difficult conversations about things like that really do lead to very deep heart to heart conversations. And that's why those kinds of conversations are so important to have. All right. Oh my gosh, we are at like 26 minutes. I'm going to answer the rest of these questions next week because there were so many great ones in there. Thank you for sending them in. Um, And we'll definitely do this again at another stage as well. So more of you can jump on, but definitely come into girlnextdoor.podcast on social media and um, you can chat with me there. But until then, have a fantastic week and uh, make sure that you come back on Wednesday for, I think, what will probably be my last episode in the Freedom Chronicles that I've been doing. Anyway, until then, have a good one. Bye.